Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. So, as we're continuing this Moses series, we've covered how God's promise was made to the Israelites in chapter 23, and then we covered how God confirms his covenant in chapter 24. And so what I want to do is I want to use uh, last week's, um, or a couple weeks ago, I want to talk about um, chapter 24 as a recap. I want to use the last few verses of that chapter as a recap so that way we can understand how we got to where we are this morning. And so I'm going to start with Exodus chapter 24, and I'm going to read from 12 to 18. And then we're going to go into the message. So it's just a recap. So Exodus chapter 24, starting at verse 12, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written in their, for their instructions. Talking about the children of Israel. So Moses with, rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. Verse 16, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So as we transition from our recap scripture to this morning scripture and message, we see God's desire to pour into Moses. God's desire for Moses to fellowship and have communion with him. And so he calls him up to the mountain, which actually brings me to my first point for this morning's message. God wants our time. God wants our time. Moses has been away from the nation of Israel for quite some time now, 40 days, 40 nights, but it's because he's in fellowship with God. There are times where God wants us to gather and worship him corporately. That's why we're here this morning, because we can worship God together. But then there are days where God wants us to spend time with him individually. You know, by the time we get to Exodus chapter 31, 32, um, by the time we get to today, you could say that the nation of Israel has worn Moses out. Moses is tired. All throughout the book of Exodus, from the beginning up till now, the Israelites have done nothing but complain. They were slaves in Egypt for centuries, begging and pleading that God would send a deliverer to get them out of here. And God finally does it. And the moment Moses shows up, they say, leave us alone. But God continues to fight for them. Moses stands up to the Pharaoh. He rebels. But God fights for them by sending plagues to consume the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh finally caves in. He lets the nation go. And as they're set free, they still see the hand of God at work. God opens up the Red Sea and allows them to walk through on dry ground. He closes the sea and drowns all their enemies. And so they are officially free. But then they find out they got to go through the wilderness. The wilderness is hot. The wilderness is dry. There's no food. There's no water. There's no rest. In the wilderness. Now, I've just talked about Exodus 14, where the Red Sea was, and now here we are this morning. In between those chapters, they've done nothing but complain. They've done nothing but grumble. Every time they, they've, been, they've been flat out arrogant, they've been rebellious, complained about everything. 
They, they're, they're looking for water. They find water, but it's bitter. They complain, God sweetens the water. Later on, they're hungry. They complain, God gives them food to eat. They're thirsty again. God gives them something to drink. Still, they complain. From the Red Sea to this morning's passage, they have been so ungrateful. They look down on Moses' leadership. They, they forget God's power shortly after they experience it. This is a nation that seems entitled and just flat-out arrogant. So by the time we get to chapters 24, all the way up to this morning's chapter, Moses is worn out. He's tired. He's been talked about constantly by his own people. He's been talked down to by his own people. And he's only obeying and following God's direction. But no matter what he does as a leader, it's just never good enough. Someone always has something to complain about. So Moses needs alone time with God. Some of us have come here this morning feeling just like Moses. Some of us have come here worn out. Some of us have come here tired. Some of us have come here just feeling over it. You've been serving. You've been using your time, your talent, your treasure to be a blessing to God's people. Some of you have been going to work and putting your best foot forward. Some of you are doing the best you can to be a godly parent to your children and a godly spouse. But no matter what you do, it feels like it's just never good enough. Someone always has something to complain about. Something, someone always has something to say about how God uses you. But based on this scripture, you need alone time with God. Moses needed alone time with God so God could work on and heal his heart and his mind. Moses needed alone time so God could give him and he could receive the directions on how to move forward with this rebellious and arrogant, disobedient nation. God wants alone time with you. So that way he can heal your heart. He can heal your mind and help you move forward. Something to point out about this nation. As we read this morning's passage, we're going to realize that it only gets worse from here. It only gets worse from here. It doesn't get any better. So Moses needed strength not only to heal from the past, but to prepare his heart for the future. You know what that tells us? That tells us that there are going to be people that you encounter at your job, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your family that will never change. They will always complain. They will always find something to criticize. They will always find something wrong with how God uses you. And we will go to God and say, God, get them. God, work on them. But God wants to work on you. God wants to touch your heart. God wants to give you what you need so that way when you encounter them, you encounter them with strength. Strength enough to love them. Strength enough to pray for them. Strength enough to walk with them. Strength enough to sympathize and empathize. My question to you is how often do you have alone time with God? How often do you set time aside to spend with God and take your burdens to the Lord so you can leave them there? How often are you asking God to work on you so that way you can love those that are critical and those that are giving you a hard time? God wants alone time with his people. Not only does God want alone time with his people, but my next point, God wants our complete devotion. God wants our complete devotion. Moses has been alone with God for quite some time, a retreat, if you will, so that way he can be restored and receive direction. But he's been gone for 40 days. 40 days. 
40 days, they hear nothing. Nation hears no spoken word coming from Moses. They see no miracles, signs, and wonders. There's nothing but silence. And by the 40th day, the people have gotten so impatient that they become vengeful. They become rebellious. They become angry with Moses for taking so long. Now, now Moses placed leaders. He placed Aaron and her, but he wanted them to tend to the nation, but nobody was trying to pay attention to them. Nobody was listening to them. They didn't care about Aaron. They didn't care about her. They didn't want to hear from them. They wanted to hear from Moses. That's what Exodus chapter 32 verse 1, the very first verse, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up. In other words, get your behind up. That's what it means in, in, in translation. Get up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. In other words, we don't know what's gotten into him. We don't know who he thinks he is to leave us here with you. I want to point something out about this. Notice how much focus they're giving Moses. The Bible says they saw that Moses delayed coming from the mountain, and they said, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Now, now Moses didn't just up and decide to just leave. He didn't decide to go on vacation. God called him to the mountain. God was the one who delivered them from the land of Egypt. Moses was the vessel. Yet they look at Moses as the deliverer. So this reveals that the nation's belief, their trust, and their devotion was more so into Moses than the God of Moses. Notice how no one acknowledged the fact that God called him to the mountain. No one acknowledged the fact that it was God that brought them out of Egypt. They only focus on the man. If your faith is more in the creation than the creator, you will always live a life of disappointment. If your reliance and allegiance is always more in the creation than the creator, you will find yourself being let down. If you are completely devoted to another human being that is just as flawed as you, because all of us are flawed, you'll find yourself compromising. So this explains why the nation constantly insulted Moses' leadership throughout scripture. Because they were looking for certain things that only God could give out of Moses. They were looking for love. They were looking for joy. They were looking for peace. They were looking for relief. But it was only from God, but they were looking for it from Moses. So this means, because this, this, we're talking about the golden calf. The golden calf wasn't their first idol. Moses was. Moses was their first idol. God called Moses to lead and serve as a vessel. In the same way, God has called pastors and elders and deacons to lead the various campuses of Coastal. And as pastors, we're called to love on you. We're called to walk with you through dark times. We're called to sit and counsel you and give clarity and direction when it's needed. But no matter how much wisdom or compassion or love a leader may have, no human attribute can compare to the God of the universe. No one can love like God can. No one can counsel like God can. No words of wisdom can compare to God's words. And so they gave Moses the credit for bringing them out of Egypt and had no acknowledgement for God. Who are you completely devoted to? Are you completely devoted to the pastor or the God of the pastor? Are you completely devoted to the small group leader, the elders or the deacons? 
or the God that they serve? Are you devoted to your supervisor or the God who gave your supervisor the job? When your devotion is to God alone, to God alone, that's when you can serve no matter what people say. That's when you can lead your family despite what other relatives may say. That's when you can come to church on Sunday and worship God despite the challenges and the setbacks of the week. Who are you devoted to? Is it the creation or the creator? God wants our complete devotion. God wants our time. He wants our complete devotion. And my next point, God wants our faith. God wants our faith. Israel, they waited. They waited, but Moses didn't come down in their timing, and so they rebelled. Something to point out about this nation. This is a nation that had seen God do the impossible. They had seen God do the impossible. They saw God consume the land of Egypt with plagues. They saw God open up the Red Sea so they could walk through on dry land. God, they saw God close that same sea on their enemies. They saw the power of God in the wilderness when he fed them when they were hungry and gave them water when they were thirsty. They saw God do the impossible, and yet they still rebelled. How? How? What we are reading is the result of people whose belief is limited to sight, not, what, not faith. It's limited to what they see. When the nation reached the Red Sea, they turned around and they saw Pharaoh coming to kill them. And they looked at Moses and they said, we told you to leave us alone. You should have never come here to begin with. This means that when Moses was sent to Egypt, Back when they were slaves, Moses, when Moses was sent to Egypt and gave them the news that God wanted to free them, that means their reaction was, I'll believe it when I see it. If your belief is limited to sight, then your belief is temporary. I'm going to use an example, and I've used this before. If I were to levitate right now, and I'm just flying all over this sanctuary, I'm flying, I'm climbing the walls, I'm just, I'm levitating, I guarantee you this church will be packed next week. If I kept doing it over and over again, we'd be in five services before the month is out. We have five services packed. We'd be the largest church in the state of Virginia if I, if I did that. Because they're not coming to know God. They're coming to see me. So the moment I stop levitating, we would immediately go from five services to four to three to two back to one. Immediately. Just as fast as we grew, we would decline. Because people only came to see. So this is why they gave Moses the credit for coming, bringing them out of Egypt, because they could see Moses. They saw the miracles. They saw the signs. They saw the, the wonders. But the moment that it stopped, they moved on to the next thing. Because many of them had a faithless life. Faith goes beyond sight. We walk by faith and not by Sight. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Faith comes by hearing, not seeing, but by hearing and hearing the word not of man, but the word of God. I've talked about faith being the substance of things hoped for from Hebrews 11. That's a chapter known as the hall of faith. It's filled with names of people who waited on the coming Messiah, but never lived to see him in person, never lived to see him come to the earth, never lived to see miracles be done. But whether they saw the outcome or not, they lived a life that displayed their belief, a life that pleased God. 
because their belief wasn't limited to sight but based on faith. The nation was faithless so they rebelled because without faith it is impossible to please God. Their belief was temporary because it was limited to sight. And so when they stopped seeing the miraculous and they looked for something else, what do you do in your moments of silence when things are still? How do you handle the seasons when it seems as if God is quiet, when it seems as if you reach that season where you're not seeing any increase or promotions or progress? How do you handle the seasons when it seems as if your prayers aren't being answered and you're seeing no positive changes in your life? When the nation was in that moment of silence, and I would even say boredom, because, you know, sometimes we get spiritually bored. We get spiritually bored going through the same routine, doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. How are you handling that in your life? But when the nation reached that, that season of silence and boredom, they looked somewhere else to fill that space. And because their faith was limited to sight, they built a God that they could see. Because they never saw God and the leader that they could see was gone. So let's fill that space with something we can see. So they build the golden calf. They took off their jewelry and they built a golden calf. I'm going to read the next two verses. Exodus chapter 32 verses 2 and 3. It says, so Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. Gold jewelry. They're loaded with gold jewelry. They're wearing it. They got it in their tents. This was gold that was taken from Egypt as they were heading out. Now, last Sunday, we talked about how God wanted the nation to build a tabernacle of gold. So the tabernacle, it was a place of worship. So when God allows them to take this gold from Egypt, it was strictly for the God to take that, for them to take that gold so they could worship him later on. But they take this gold that God allows them to get from Egypt and they use it to rebel against the God that brought them out of Egypt. Something to point out about that. Something to point out. The tabernacle all points to Jesus. Jesus whose finished work gives us those who believe in his name the hope of eternal life. So this means... That God wanted to use this gold to point them to something eternal. But they wanted to use the gold for something temporary. So belief that is limited to sight will always keep you focused on the temporary and distracted from the eternal. Not only that, but it teaches us that sin against God will waste your money and your investment and your time. The result of sin, the thrill of sin, it is always temporary but whatever God gives is eternal so my question what are you giving your time to what are you investing in we believe here at Coastal that a form of worship is giving we worship by giving our time our talent our treasure our gifts our money but when we give whether you're a member here or at another church when you give to a gospel-centered bible-believing church you are investing in something eternal. You're not just investing in a building or sound equipment or lesson plans for the children, but you are sowing into the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God isn't going anywhere. The kingdom of God is eternal. So when you give, you're displaying your belief in the truth of God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So when you give, you're giving to something eternal. But the Israelites took the gold. That God gave them. 
And they used it for something temporary. Watch what you invest in. Watch who and what you give your time to. I want to focus on something that I mentioned earlier for my next point. Focus on the goodness of God. So focus on things that are eternal, but focus on the goodness of God. That's my next point. The nation of Israel, they had not seen anything supernatural in days. It had been days since they had seen Moses. So they're trying to feel that silence, feel that boredom, feel that emptiness in their hearts. They're looking for something that only God can give in the wrong places. So they build this golden calf. But it's to specifically serve as a God that brought increase to grain and herbs. A calf who could bring sustenance through its milk. Now, where would they get an idea like that? How could they be so specific on building a calf? All the animals they could have built. Could have built a lion, they could have built a bear, they could have built a tiger. They decide to build a calf. How could they get so specific? The Egyptians worship calves. The Egyptians, they worship calves. They worship calves as God who brought increase to grains and herbs. Some believe that it was a female who brought sustenance of life through the, through the, through the uh, female's milk. So the Israelites... They knew that the Egyptians worshipped calves. So in their time of hardship, their time of hardship grew a desire for the things of their past. Their time of hardship grew a a desire for the things of their past. So in their times of hardship, their minds went back to their times as slaves in Egypt. You know, while they were in Egypt, they were sustained by being fed throughout the day. They had a home to sleep in. They had a place where they could call home for centuries. So their time of hardship in the desert distorted their view of their past. Though they may have had food to eat throughout the day and a place to sleep, they were still slaves. They were constantly abused. They were constantly beaten. They only were fed enough food to get the job done. They only got enough sleep to get enough strength to get back to work. But when times were rough... The view of their past was distorted, so they built a golden calf. Because in the mind of the Israelites, who better to worship than this God? Moses' God seemed to let us down. Moses is nowhere to be found. They're in the desert, ungrateful for the food that God has given them. Who better to worship and serve than a God who appears to have made the Egyptians prosperous? You know, this isn't the first time the view of their past was distorted. The Bible says at the Red Sea, They saw the Egyptians pursuing them with the intent to kill them. They looked at Moses and said, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than for us to die in the wilderness. In other words, it would have been better for us to go back to my past than for me to struggle where I am. Facing hardship, it can distort the view of our past. And some of us may have reached that point. We'll look back over our lives and say, it's better for us to be in that relationship than for me to be single and lonely. But that, uh, that relationship may have been abusive. It may have been toxic. But we forget that because of the hardship we're in now. It's better for us to smoke until we hallucinate and drink until we pass out. It's better for us to go back to drugs that, that give us the imagination, take our imagination to a place where we're flawless and we're always the victim than for me to be sober and face my own issues. It's better for me to go back to that six-figure job than for me to struggle financially. But we may forget that it was that six-figure job 
that shredded the relationships that you have with your family and your friends. That six-figure job may have been the thing that held you back from growing in your walk with Christ, but now that you are financially or that you're not you're financially struggling, your relationship with Christ may have grown stronger. You may be closer to your family, but, but times are hard financially, and so we think it's better for us to go back to that job. That, that's where the Israelites are right now. They thought it would be better to go backward than to see what God could do in that season. What makes this passage even more mind-blowing is that they wanted to worship the God that the Egyptians worshipped. They wanted to worship cattle because of its spiritual meaning in Egypt. But when you look back, before the, uh, before the Israelites were set free, God sent plagues to fight for them. He sent plagues to consume the land of Egypt. One of those plagues was dying cattle. One of those plagues was dying cattle. Each plague that God sent represented an idol being torn down or exposed as false. So when God turned the water into blood, God was declaring Isis, the guardian of the Nile, as a false god. When God sent fiery hell to destroy the, cr the crops, he was declaring Nepper, the god of the crops, as a false god. When God sent darkness, he was declaring that Ra, the god of the sun, is a false god. So when God kills the cattle in Egypt, he's declaring that the calf, Apis, the god of cattle and the god of, of, um, of fertility, is false. So not only are we seeing that God is declaring these gods as false, but he's severing relationships, any relationship that Israel may have had with these false gods because as slaves, you worship who they worship. So God is severing relationships, any relationship that they had with these false gods. Now, now, when we look back over our lives, many of us can see how God severed certain relationships and took us out of certain lifestyles, how he broke certain habits, but time has passed since then. Here we are finding ourselves in hardship and it causes us to look backwards, attempting to stitch what God severed and revive what God killed. Because sometimes life beats us down so bad that we're tempted to quit. And sometimes it seems as if God isn't listening or it seems like God doesn't see us so we look elsewhere. But I want to encourage you when you look back Remember the goodness of God in your past. You may have been bound by addiction, but God rescued you. You may have been in an abusive relationship, but God pulled you out. You may have been abusive or mean-hearted, but God saved you and changed your mind. Now that you've reached this challenging season in your life, it's tempting to go backwards. But I want to encourage you to look back and focus on the goodness of God when you think of your past. Remember how God severed and cut those things to heal your heart so that you could move forward in his will as a healthy believer. I also want to encourage you to think and ask yourself the question, what does God want to teach me right now? It's quiet. It's still. I don't see anything happening. What is God trying to teach me and show me in this season right now? While I'm in this season, what is God trying to show me? Don't go backwards. Don't go backwards. I know from experience, it's not worth it. Do not go backwards. It's not worth it. My next point, God is the greatest power. It's hard not to go backwards. 
We have to lean on the greatest power. God is the greatest power. The Bible says they gather themselves together to Aaron. They gather themselves together. Those words are very interesting because it's a nice way of saying they ambushed him. They bombarded him. They raided his space. And they said, get up. Get up. Get up. Stand up. Come here. Come here. Yeah, you right there. Come here. That's how they talked to Aaron. They, didn't, they did not respect Aaron at all. This was horrible people. <laughs> horrible group of people. They bombarded his space. They said, come here. They said, you make us a God that we can see right now. And Aaron says, okay. Aaron says, okay. He says, take off the rings of gold that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. Then he goes on to say, then the the scripture goes on to say, so all the people, they took off their rings of gold that were in the ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with the graving tool, and he made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now Moses placed Aaron in charge while he was away. Aaron, he served as the interim pastor of the congregation while Moses was on the mountain. So Aaron, is follow, he's following the leading, or he's supposed to be following the leading of God, but he's following the leading of the congregation. When God places you as a leader, whether it be your family, your ministry, your job, you will be confronted to make hard decisions. You will have to make hard decisions. There will be people under you who will want to do things contrary to what you know is right. People will challenge your leadership and they will come up to you making demands. But if you are in Christ, if you are a child of God, you are called even to a dark world. If you're called to a dark world, you are called to be a leader, right? Even those, you may not have a family to lead. You may not have a wife or husband to work with. You may not have children to lead. But if you are called out of darkness, you are called to be a leader because you are called to lead the lost to Jesus Christ. So that means the world doesn't tell us how to serve Jesus outside of Scripture. That means we don't follow the world's demands. We don't let them tell us how we should worship. We don't let them tell us what scriptures we should follow or not follow. When God gives us a role of leadership, we are to follow him despite what people say and think. It's obvious that the trends changed. At one point, it was trendy to serve God, but the trends changed. Now it's popular to worship a golden calf. Can you serve God when it's not popular? Can you serve God when it seems as if you're outnumbered? Aaron, he took the jewelry from the congregation and he built this golden calf Not only did he make the golden calf, but he did something very popular in churches today. He built a golden calf, then he built an altar dedicated to God right in front of it. And this Bible says, it says, he said, uh, let us wake up early and let's make an offering to the Lord. That's what he says. What we're seeing is a leader trying to serve two masters. In the days we're living in, Can you serve God even if it costs you? He's outnumbered. He's afraid he's going to die. So he tries to compromise. But can you still serve God if it costs you your life, your job, or your income, or your relationships? 
He caved into the demands of the congregation because it seemed as if he was outnumbered, which implies that he forgot how big God is. This is the God whose breath birthed the galaxies in space and whose word formed everything that's seen and unseen. The God who used the dust of, may, of dust to form over 200 bones in the human body. A God who wiped out and annihilated kingdoms and nations who came to attack his people. He alone is greater than anything we face. The greatest number of opposition is no match for the God of heaven and earth. And if this God is before us or on our side, who can be against us? This explains 2 Kings chapter 6. And you can read it when you get home. It's very encouraging. The Bible says that the Syrian army was prepared to attack the nation of Israel. And the Bible says Elisha, who was a servant, a prophet of God, he woke up. Elisha's servant woke up. And he looked outside and he saw that the Syrian army surrounded the nation in a number that was greater than their own. And he, he came to Elisha, troubled along with the nation of Israel. And Elisha told the servant, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Now, they had no idea what Elisha was talking about. But God opened their eyes. And once God opened their eyes, they looked up on the mountain and saw a large, countless number of angels on chariots of fire ready to strike every one of their enemies with blindness. Aaron was more focused on his opposition than the greatness of the God of the universe. So he carved and he made this golden image. The nation, they're dancing, they're celebrating, they're declaring that this golden calf, this false God, is the deliverer of e from Egypt. This is the God they declare. That brought us out of Egypt. This is a God that they can see. A God that, that has no mouth to open. A God that has no voice to speak. Which means he has no demands to make. So the Israelites are not only celebrating their freedom from the Egyptians. But their desire to be free from God's demands. So this is a rebellious people. With resentment toward Moses and ultimately toward God And while all this is going on, Moses is up in the mountain receiving the tablets of the law. While they think God is paying them no mind, God says to Moses in verses 7 and 10, your people down there acting up, Moses. They acting out down there. He says, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. Now, this is God talking. Go down for your people. Whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. He says they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it. And said these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Now Moses' response is beautiful in verses 11 and 14. I'm not going to read it for Tom's sake, but I'm going to just paraphrase it. You can read it. Moses hears this. And Moses almost can't believe what he's hearing. He first off looks at God and says, well, these aren't my people. 
He says, these, these are your people. You brought them out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand. He, he goes on and he says, but you say, you say to these people, what you say about these people, he says, because God wants to consume them. He wants to give them his hot fury. But Moses says, what you're saying that you want to do to these people, it doesn't even line up with who you are. You are a promise keeper. You are a God of love and compassion. You promised our forefathers that you would multiply their offspring like the stars in the sky. And in verse 14, God relents from punishing them. Now, now, does that mean that God changed? What I believe just happened, I believe God was calling Moses to a place of self-examination. God says, I'm going to destroy them. I am going to burn hot against them. Leave me alone so I can do this. Moses turns around and says, now that doesn't even line up with who you are. That doesn't even line up with what I've read and what I've known about you. That doesn't even line up with your promises. And then God says, okay, I won't do that. Okay. Now, has God changed? I believe God is calling Moses to a place of self-examination. Now, everyone had a distorted view of God by this time. And before Moses goes down to address them, Moses needs to make sure that his relationship with God is strong enough not to cave in as a leader. Every leader who declared to have this same relationship with God caved in when times get rough. So now God is saying this so that Moses can look down in his own heart to make sure that he isn't going to be like Aaron. So that way when he goes down to the mountain, he's not going to join the party, but he can stand even if he's alone and say, this is the word of the Lord and I choose to stand here. Can you take some time to examine your heart? So when Moses confesses, who he knows God to be. He's declaring that his faith is too strong to bow before the golden calf despite what everybody else is doing. That's the heart of a leader. That's the heart of a leader. That's the heart of someone who has strong belief and strong faith whether they've seen the results or not. In verses 15 through 29, Moses, he goes down to the mountain and he sees what has become of the nation of Israel. What he sees makes him so angry that he takes these tablets of stone and he throws them at the foot of the mountain and they shatter. It was at the foot of the mountain where this nation declared just a few chapters over that they would obey all that the Lord commanded. But they said it in a way that they could do it in their own strength. Because you know we can't serve the Lord and obey all that he commands in our own strength. Because we're naturally sinful and we deserve God's wrath like the nation of Israel. And Moses, knowing this, after he handles them, he turns around and he says, I'm going right back up there. He goes back up to the mountain in verse 30. Which brings me to my last and final point. I'm done after this. Sin, a sinless life alone covers sin. A sinless life alone covers sin. In verse 31 to 35. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot them out of my book. 
Now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit you, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made a calf, the one that Aaron made. Moses starts with a loss, word of grief, disappointment. He stands before the Lord with a broken heart, grieved over the sin of the nation. And he says that they have sinned a great sin against you. But now, in other words, what's done is done. He says they've sinned a great sin against you. But now, what's done is done. I can't go back in time. I can't change anything. He says, but now... Because Moses understands that our actions can't be undone. What's done is done. He continues by saying, if you forgive their sin. Now, I want you to look look back at that. He says, if you forgive their sin, then there's a long dash next to that. If you forgive their sin, he stops. Which means Moses stops in mid-sentence. Because he has to realize he's reminded of who he's talking to. He's talking to a holy God who hates sin. And so he says, if you forgive them, and that long dash means it makes sense if you don't. I understand if you don't do it. I know that they deserve it. But if not, if you don't forgive them, please blot my name out of your book that you've written. In verse 30, Moses, he's going up to the mountain, and he tells the people he's going up with hopes to make atonement for their sin. Moses is going up to the mountain to sacrifice his life And shed his blood for the nation. But when he offers, God refuses. God says, whoever sinned against me, I'll handle that. Now you go down and you lead the people. Moses' offer, he makes this offer of atonement. Atonement is the shedding of innocent blood for the sins of the guilty. It serves as the basis of our celebration of communion. When we take communion... It gives us an opportunity to look inward, to examine ourselves. If there's anything that's in us that's not like God, we ask God to take it out. It's an opportunity to examine our relationship with God and ask him to give us the strength in areas that were weak. But in order for us to look inward, we have to first off look backwards. The children of Israel, they had a tendency to look back, but they did it the wrong way. But I'm so glad that God gives us a reason to look back. When we look back, we're reminded of the holiness and the righteousness of God who made us in his image and in his likeness. A God who we rebelled against because we wanted to live life on our own terms and our rebellion. It brought sin into the world and separated us from this holy holy and righteous God. And it put us, all humanity, in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath. But this is why God refuses Moses' offer to sacrifice his own life because he knew that Moses is just as jacked up as the people he's leading. All of us deserve God's wrath. But instead of God giving us his wrath, he gave us his son. The Israelites, they wanted to serve a God that they could see and touch. But God the son came to this world and lived among us. And and for the first time, we could see God. For the first time, we could touch God. We could hear God's voice in human form. Jesus, God the Son, came to this earth, bombarded with temptation. 
His authority was challenged by the religious leaders. His leadership was challenged by his followers. His friendship was challenged by his own disciples. But when he was worn out by the pressure of life, he looked for strength and he looked for peace and relief from the Father through prayer and devotion. He had opportunities to look for relief from the world, but he looked back. He looked back. He looked back to his time with the Father. That's why he says in John 17, 5, he says, And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory in which I had before the world began. Jesus lived a sinless life, and because his life was so sinless, he could do what Moses wanted to do but couldn't. He laid down his own life, taking the penalty upon himself for our sin by dying on the cross and shedding his innocent blood for the guilty. Jesus, looking back over his life and gaining power from the Holy Spirit, it gave him the strength to look forward. And so he could endure the cross, despising the shame because there was joy set before him. Jesus, the joy, knowing that the joy of him rising again and the joy of knowing that he would ascend to the Father to sit at his right hand, the joy of knowing that he would return to take those who believe in him home to be with him for eternity. Jesus had joy set before him and looking back, looking to the Father for strength rather than the world gave him the strength to look forward despite the challenges that were thrown his way. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And those who surrender to Jesus as Lord are saved from the penalty of sin. And though sin may have influence, it will no longer have dominion. We will face challenges. We will get frustrated. But God has given us a reason to look back. The gospel gives us a reason to look back. Look back and reflect over the goodness of God in times of frustration. The Israelites, they got frustrated because they were focusing on the wrong things when they looked back. They were frustrated because they couldn't see God physically, so they built the idol that they could see. But when we take communion, we look backwards. We look inward. And lastly, as I close, we look forward. Y'all can come up. Just like the golden calf, this life on, every, on earth, everything that we see is temporary. One day, when we all pass away, those who surrender to Jesus will find permanent rest, permanent peace, permanent joy in the presence of the Almighty God. It will be a day when our faith becomes sight and we will see Jesus face to face. But in the meantime, is your belief limited to what can be seen? When temptation comes and it seems as if you're outnumbered, do you believe that God is greater than your opposition? Where are you looking for peace and relief and joy? Where are you looking? The world has a lot to offer, but it's all temporary. Only what Christ has will last forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For you are a God that is eternal. Everything about you is eternal. Your love is eternal. Your joy is eternal. Your peace is eternal. And this world that we're living in, it comes with so much heartache and pain, frustration, irritation. But Father, we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be reminded that this life is temporary. And Father, we pray for strength to endure this race as we look forward to the day where we look at Christ face to face and we fellowship with him for eternity. 
We pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to hold on as we're trying to live this life day to day. We know we can't do it in our own strength. We need you. Thank you for everything that's been said and taught. We pray that it would be applied to our lives every day so that God is glorified. We thank you for all that's been done, all that's been said in Jesus' name. Amen.